and welcome to another episode of Unauthorized Disclosure. I am one of your hosts, Rania Kalik, and I'm joined by my co-host, Kevin Gastola. Hey, Kevin. Hey, Rania. Uh, it's really great to be back on. We have an awesome guest today. I'm really excited. She is um, an amazing person and also a good friend of mine and also one of the smartest people I know, uh, Arab-American professor and activist Rania Musri, joining us from Lebanon. Hello, Rania. Hey, how are you guys? I have to say, it's so weird to hear somebody go, hello, Rania, and for them not to be talking to me. So it's um, like Rania Squared on the show. You know? You're Rania Squared, and it's going to be weird too, Rania Squared. I'm like talking to myself, like Rania. No, but we have someone named Rania on the show who's not me. <laughs> so Rania Squared. Um, well, so we basically, we have Rania on today to talk about the insane stuff going on in the Middle East at the moment, uh, specifically involving Saudi Arabia, which is like purging, you know, we've got Mohammed bin Salman, who's like purging the royal family at the moment. Uh, and it started last week. Uh, everything that's going on right now started last week uh, with uh, the resignation of uh, Lebanese Prime Minister Saad Hariri. So I guess, Rania, can you kind of like walk us through what happened last week, um, beginning with that and how we got from Saad Hariri resigning on, on Al Arabiya to today and what's going on now? Okay, so it, it is a bit surreal, and I'll, and I'll try to say it very quickly. So um, on Thursday, Lebanese Prime Minister Saad al-Hariri was summoned to Saudi Arabia. He canceled all his appointments and went to Riyadh. <coughs> Excuse me. He was picked up at the airport and taken directly to the Ritz-Carlton, where um, dozens and dozens, approximately 49 uh, princes and influential Saudi businessmen are, have also been held, but Saad al-Hariri was held separately from them. So he was taken to the Ritz-Carlton villa. Um, his phone was taken away from him. He was given this statement, this resignation letter that the Saudis had written for him, and he was told to read it on air and to read it, you know, to, to read it on television. And he was not allowed to consult with anybody or to use his phone. After he had read this, and it was a taped broadcast on Saudi television, Al Arabiya, which is a Saudi television station. After he read that letter, he was then taken to meet the king. And the joke in Lebanon is that the Saudi king accepted his resignation as the Lebanese prime minister. Um, <laughs> You know, uh, and and so we heard about this again. Imagine this: our prime minister issues, you know, reads a statement telling us he's resigning as prime minister, not live, not on a press conference, but in a taped uh, broadcast from a foreign TV station from outside the country. So naturally, the Lebanese president and the Lebanese speaker of the house have responded by saying, "Look, if you want to resign, you actually need to come to Lebanon." But as of yet. <laughs> Seriously, as of yet, you know, the, the government is saying we cannot neither accept nor reject your resignation. We consider it to be, you know, you know just a statement that we believe you read involuntarily and under duress. Uh, Saad, um, Sayyid Hassan Nasrallah today in his second speech that he uh, said today, today is um, uh, Friday, that, that he stated that he considers that the resignation is, un I'm quoting here, unconstitutional, illegitimate and illegal, and that the government still holds. The future movement, which is Saad al-Hariri's political party, of whom he is the leader, also stated that they are calling for Saad al-Hariri to return to Lebanon. Now, Saad al-Hariri read this resignation letter on Saturday. Today is Friday. He has still not returned to Lebanon. Um, numerous, numerous reports, including from his bodyguards that went with him and returned to Lebanon, including from other Saudi sources that we have in the country, have told us that Saad al-Hariri remains held in involuntary detention by the Saudi government. 
Um, so it is it is quite serious, actually. And the Lebanese government may be uh, thinking about um, a resolution or a call from the UN Security Council calling for the release of our captive prime minister. In the meantime, <laughs> in the meantime, just just to add another level of surre surre surrealism, the Saudi um, uh, Mohammed bin Salman and the king and their spokesperson, another Saudi minister, um, stated that. Lebanon has declared war on Saudi Arabia. Now, typically when a country declares war, it states that it's declaring war. Here we are told by Saudi Arabia that we have declared war on Saudi Arabia. Ergo, Saudi Arabia is now declaring war on Lebanon. And there are open, openly, it's no longer, a, you know, like um, a public secret. It's quite well known now that Saudi Arabia is in discussions with the Israeli government to, and Saudi Arabia is encouraging the Israeli government to launch attacks on Lebanon. So the most extreme possibility is that there could be a Saudi-Israeli uh, military attack on Lebanon. We also need to remember that the Pentagon stated this week that they uh, remain strong defense allies with um, Saudi Arabia and that the U.S. has for the first time ever set up a military base within Israel. So who knows who could be launching an attack on Lebanon? That is one of the options that the Saudis are discussing. The Saudis have also openly stated that they will consider all options, not simply political options. So on one extreme, we have this either a Saudi war, a Saudi-Israeli war, another kind of launching of a war against Lebanon. The least option is that there could be financial sanctions or a blockade similar to what they did on Qatar could be imposed on Lebanon. Now, in the midst of all this, we also need to remember who this Saudi regime actually is, and that this is a, re a regime that has launched a war against Yemen, a war that has had regular, regular massacres, a war that even the United Nations declares now could lead to uh, a famine uh, like what is unseen historically, you know, and a, a very exceptional famine where millions could die in Yemen. And so we know what the Saudis are capable of in Yemen. We know what they're capable of in Syria because of the Saudi support of ISIS and the funding that they gave to ISIS and the fact that through released documents, we know the Saudis wanted to, quote, light up Damascus. And so we know that they have that capability or desire. We also know, and I think this makes them all the more dangerous, that not only have they tried in Yemen and in Iraq and in Syria, but they have failed everywhere that they have tried to achieve their military objectives. And so now they're they're looking into Lebanon and trying to figure out what they can do in Lebanon, using Lebanon as a proxy war against Iran. So what's what's incredible about everything you just said, and just to, I just want to give some context for people who aren't familiar <laughs> with um like le the way that Lebanon works is, uh, the the prime minister of Lebanon, who Saudi Arabia basically forced to resign, Saad Hariri, his party was like a Saudi puppet party. Am I right to say that? The future well, I movement? Mean, yes. It, well, in the sense that you could say the future movement has always been very strongly aligned with Saad al-Hariri. But as of yet, he is not resigned. According to the Lebanese law, he is a prime minister who read a resignation letter whose resignation has not been accepted. <laughs> well, what's 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 stunning? What's stunning though is about like watching. Obviously, I'm not in Lebanon at the moment, but watching from here, just the reactions is to see that what I, the reason I mentioned that the the future movement party, Saad Hariri's party, is aligned with Saudi Arabia, is because it looks to me as though this move, which seemed to have also been um, the purpose of it, seemed to be to also stoke and, or inflame sectarian tensions as well by trying to blame Hezbollah and Iranian interference in Lebanon. Has, seems to have united Le like Lebanon in a way against Saudi Arabia, including the future movement, which is demanding 
<laughs> that had any come back to Lebanon. It's yes, just like yes. an interesting, yeah. Go yeah ahead. It has not worked. That. I mean, th this is the thing is, is I think the Saudi regime underestimates uh, the Lebanese as they have underestimated the Yemenis and the Syrians and the Iraqis. They seem to be quite caught up in their arrogance to such an extent that they seem to underestimate everybody. And just like Sayyid Hassan Nasrallah said in his latest speech, you cannot plan a war and underestimate your, your foe. Um, and they have been doing that. So, I mean, what, what have the Saudis done thus far? They have asked their citizens to leave Lebanon immediately, as have the Bahrainis and the Kuwaitis. We're like, okay. So that, that might cause a little bump on uh, our economy, a, a small little bump. But beyond that, it's psychological warfare. They have also tried to impose their preference, who is Baha al-Hariri, Saad al-Hariri's older brother, as the leader of the future movement. The future movement rejected him. And I can go into all these details behind why Baha'u was rejected by the future movement. They're trying to impose a prime minister on the country. And our minister of interior, who is also aligned with the future movement, said yesterday, we are not sheep that can be bought and sold. I mean, very strong language has, has, has been the response. So clearly the Saudi regime has been trying to right now impose itself and to cause civil division within Lebanon. They have failed miserably so far. So as of yet, you only have Ashraf al-Rifi, who is an extreme right-wing um, warlord, and you have uh, Samir Jaja, who was the head of the Lebanese forces, who is also, also a right-wing right warlord. warlord. But, but the, <laughs> other, the other right-wing warlords, are not standing with them. So from Walid Jumblat, from the Progressive Socialist Party, from Bayt Jmail, from the Kata'ib, from, of course, uh, the Free Patriotic Movement led by President General Aoun, to uh, the Amal Movement led by Speaker of the House Nabih Birri, to, of course, Hezbollah led by uh, Sayyid Hassan Nasrallah. I mean, they're all standing together, all of them calling for calm and wisdom and the return of our captive prime minister. Wow. So what, what were you saying about um, Saad Hariri's older brother? Being so Baha so al-Hariri um, has been for the past year aligned with Ashraf Rifi. So he actually, Baha al-Hariri actually supported a political opponent of the future movement in the last municipal elections, which happened last year. Okay. Mm -hmm. Baha al-Hariri is also known to be much closer to Mohammed bin Salman, the current uh, Saudi crown, crown prince, than Saad al-Hariri, who has wider um, affiliations within Saudi Arabia. Um, even it's, it's stated that when Baha al-Hariri called his mother, Nazif al-Hariri, to get her support, she responded, have you talked to Saad? You talk to Saad first, and then we'll have a conversation. So even his mother is not supporting him on this. <laughs> so it's really good to show, to show that, okay, so, so far they failed, okay? Now, but the Saudis have also done in Lebanon a lot like what they've done in The Guardian. Now, anybody who reads The Guardian for the past few weeks would go, Oh my God, The Guardian has really elevated the quality of yellow journalism here. And I mean yellow journalism because clearly they've been bought when you have The Guardian publish article after article talking about the reform of Mohammed bin Salman, you know, and presenting him as the reform king, which like Asad Abu Khalil says, would be akin to presenting Donald Trump as a feminist. Yeah, um, there you go. <laughs> you know, uh, so in the same way that the Saudis are pumping in money into The Guardian, and by the way, they have also been pumping in money in the United States through a public relations firm that's also aligned with the UAE. Um, in that same way, they're also pumping money into certain media channels here in Lebanon. Um, so that, that's why it becomes really, really all the more important that people like Nasrallah did not take the bait of uh, the vile language in that resignation letter that was written 
uh, for uh, Saad al-Hariri and that he read under duress. He did not respond to the vile language and the vile accusations made against Hezbollah. Hezbollah has not responded to the fact that the Saudi minister continues to call them the party of the devil. So mm -hmm. rather they have worked for the past week to de-escalate political tension, which I think is really, really key so that this country does not break down in further tension and further chaos. Yeah, that's one thing that the Hezbollah response has been really incredible and really calm and like Hassan Nasrallah's speeches have been very calm and very like coherent and succinct and um, <laughs> and even defending. No, it's just amazing to see like you've got you've got Nasrallah defending the future movement like leader <laughs> yeah. from Saudi Arabia. And, and, and also Al Jazeera because of the changes in the Gulf alliances I get with between Qatar and Saudi Arabia. Al Jazeera Arabic has been airing his speeches, from what I understand, which is a big deal because they hadn't done that since 2011. Yes, uh, they have been doing that because, because, of course, Saudi is boycotting Qatar. And so Qatar now is no longer aligned with the Saudi regional power structure. So it wants to show itself as being anti-Saudi. And so they're <laughs> airing Nasrallah's talks. Yeah. What a change. But so let's like, I guess, um, at the, the question that everybody keeps asking, and it seems a bit alarmist, but it's definitely something to consider. And you mentioned it a little bit, is everybody feels, I mean, people are saying this is pointing to a possible Israeli attack on Lebanon. So I guess from your own like from, you know, what's your analysis on that? Do you see uh, an Israeli attack like coming soon? And if so, why? If not, why not? You know, I'm, I'm not going to kid with you. Ever since the resignation letter was read, um, I've been feeling that I don't want to leave this country because if Lebanon is going to be under attack, I want to be here and nowhere else. Um, but with regards to an Israeli attack on Lebanon, Israeli attacks on Lebanon are always a possibility. They are always an option. It is impossible for a country to live next door to the venom of Zionism and not to be threatened. And particularly when over the past few months, we've had Israeli minister after Israeli minister declare that the next war on Lebanon, the next war, you know, <laughs> will encompass all of Lebanon and will encompass Syria and the Palestinians and Gaza. So there is a possibility always that the Israelis could launch another war on Lebanon the one that would be more vehement and more destructive than the war that they launched in 2006, because every war that the Israelis launch against Lebanon is always more destructive than the previous one. But the question isn't, is it possible? The question is, is it likely? Mm. And here I have to say that um, I don't really think it's likely. Now, I could be mistaken. You know, I, I really, really could be mistaken. And who knows what then could happen. But as, as it stands right now, and when we look at the Israeli press with the statements coming out of the Israeli press, you know, saying stuff such as, do the Saudis want to fight their war with Israeli soldiers? Mm. Uh, you know, you're dealing with a country like Israel that wants, if it launches a war against Lebanon, it, it will be launched based on Israeli calculations and Israeli timings and not based on Saudi calculations. Now, right. I could be wrong because we know clearly that what happened over the past week was not spontaneous. There's no way something as massive as the arrest of, you know, of almost 50 people thus far that we know of, uh, there are reports that saying 500 people have been arrested, okay, but at least 50 people. That's such a massive arrest and the, the freezing of more than 1,700 bank accounts thus far that we know of, there's no way that that could have been spontaneous. Clearly, this is something that Mohammed bin Salman had been planning. Now, right. if he had been planning it, and we also know that this regime has been coordinating and has been normalizing relationships with the Israeli government, 
We know that right now they are even in closer ties than they were previously. Maybe they had been planning it together. Maybe the Trump administration and the Israeli government and the Saudi regime had been planning this attack and this you know, aggression against Lebanon for quite a while. And maybe it will lead to a launching of another war. Maybe. Um, I still don't think it's very likely. And I have to say, I, I don't think it's very likely because Sayyid Hassan Nasrallah in his past two talks has told us that he doesn't uh -oh. think it's very likely. Hello? And we're dealing with, I mean, of course, it's always possible, but they do not think it is probable. Well, there's also like, if so, so there's another difference in the region today, and especially after the war in Syria and the war in Iraq and the war against ISIS is now coming, like winding down, and ISIS has pretty much been defeated, is Hezbollah is a lot stronger than it was in 2006. And anybody who messes with Hezbollah or, I mean, it's allies in the region at this point, because it's it's not just Hezbollah anymore you have to deal with, um, has uh, and basically like an are quite quite a bunch of like a bunch of armies that they'd have to deal with uh, if they launched an attack, uh, and I think Hezbollah knows that that they are a huge threat to both Israel or anybody who messes with them. Very much so. I mean, you're dealing with Hezbollah that over the past six years has has their military training has intensified because of Syria. Um, they claim to be stronger. They claim to have a larger weaponry than they had in 2006. We also need to understand that after the 2006 war, I mean, just one small figure, after the 2006 war, after Lebanon was, you know, most of Lebanon was was heavily uh, impacted and we had a fourth of the Lebanese population that, that was internally displaced in that 33, day, 33 days of massacres, basically, 1,200 Lebanese killed. Um, but after that war, the number of Lebanese that moved to Lebanon after that war was higher than the number of Israelis that left occupied Palestine. So oh, that wow. tells you a lot about how much we in Lebanon are willing to sacrifice for the liberation of our land versus how much the Israelis are willing to put up with. And perhaps deep within the Zionist mentality, they know that they're occupiers. They know that they are basically a settler state colony. And they all have somewhere else that they can go to, which is very different from the Lebanese or the Palestinian or the Syrian or the Iraqi relationship to our land, which is an indigenous relationship to the land. So in that way, what we're willing to pay for is vastly higher than what uh, the Israeli occupying state is willing to pay for. And I think that becomes a critical thing um, in discouraging uh, the Israelis towards another battle with Lebanon. Wow. Well, and then just to bring it out like uh, a little bit more region wide, we're talking about what's happening in Saudi Arabia and the arrest of all these people. I mean, it's really stunning because I think there's I think it's like uh, estimates of up to possibly 400 people. And I mean, these are not just yeah. any people. These are like these are like powerful people. I mean, I think that there's speculation that Prince Bondar is one of them, um, who is yes, really well, close I mean, to Bush and yeah. Cheney and like all of these billionaires and media moguls and oil company executives in Saudi yeah. Arabia. It's like the Game of Thrones. Yes, without the good looking actors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, where's Jon Snow when you need him? But, uh, winter's um, not coming, but. <laughs> well, climate change, so we have to deal with climate change because of that. So I kind of wish winter were coming, but that's not the thing. I mean, if we look at the most conservative estimates here, the most conservative estimates are that we are dealing with the wealth of $33 billion are in that palace in under detention, at least $33 billion. 
So, you know, what, what I think is actually happening in Saudi Arabia is not at all what The Guardian um, and sometimes The New York Times wants to portray as an, you know, it's an anti-corruption reform by this very <laughs> moderate uh, leader in Saudi Arabia because, you know, he did give citizenship to this robot and he did let women drive. And so what more to be you know, insane. But clearly there is a consolidation of financial power, very clearly. Um, and there are all these reports that these princes and businessmen are being coerced. Mind you, they, I mean, they're armed men in, within that palace. We're not just dealing with them being detained away from their families. They are under guard. And yeah. there are rumors that they are being coerced to give up their inheritance or to give up their wealth to Mohammed bin Salman. Um, so it's like a it's like a godfather um, action, you know, that, that that's happening with the full support of the Trump administration, because he keeps tweeting how much he loves what's happening in Saudi Arabia. And we have to remember that Saudi Arabia was the first country President Trump chose to visit in his first, um, you know, international trip outside of the United States. Well, you know, people are also, there's, there's also been this suggestion by some who are pro-Saudi, like especially neocon types in the U.S., that, um, Mohammed bin Salman is not just a reformer, but this is his way of trying to get rid of Wahhabism. Really? <laughs> That's like not, saying the Pope wants to get, get rid of the Catholic Church. I mean, <laughs> you know, if, if Mohammed bin Salman wanted to get rid of Wahhabism, he could do that very simply by stop funding it. Yeah. I mean, by, by stopping pushing ISIS down our throats because ISIS is the embodiment of Wahhabism. So, you know, I mean, it really, really doesn't make any sense. You know, um, so yeah, it's it's. They're, they're, I mean, these media pundits are are trying very hard to whitewash um, his his actions in Saudi Arabia. But I think we can just look at the facts, and the facts are really really clear. We have frozen bank accounts of more than one thousand three hundred frozen bank accounts thus far. We have princes and influential businessmen held in detention, not in trial, by the way but in detention, very cloak and dagger-like, without any kind of transparency, without any kind of accountability. These are not the actions of a leader who claims reform. Rather, these are clearly the actions of a leader who wants to consolidate power. I mean, let's flip the tables. Were this to happen in Iran, what, what would the response have been? You know, were this <laughs> to happen in Venezuela, what would the response have been? They would have called for courts. They would have called for transparency. They would have called for access to these men, but nobody's been given access to these men that are held under detention. So, I mean, come on, it's, it doesn't even matter where we stand on the political spectrum. The facts are too damn clear. The only way people can see it otherwise is if they're being paid to see it otherwise. Well, and speaking of people who see it otherwise, um, you have the German diplomats and the French diplomats and, of course, the Americans. But uh, it's just a, it's, the, the argument is so stunning because, like you mentioned, Iran and the argument that you're hearing from Western diplomats is that, well, Iran is the one that's interfering in Lebanon, in Yemen and in Syria. And Saudi Arabia is somehow right. And oh, Saad Hariri is not at all being held against his will. He has freedom of movement. And it's just amazing. It's amazing because it's Saudi Arabia that's doing all of those things. Yeah. It's starving yeah, it's Yemen. It funded jihadists in Syria. And I mean, where is Iran? When was the last time Iran detained any any Lebanese leader, let alone force them to resign? 
I mean, it, it makes no sense. It just becomes a knee-jerk reaction to just say, it must be the Iranians, it must be the Iranians. And it became you know, really apparent with the kind of attention that these two Yemeni missiles, how much attention they got when there were two Yemeni missiles that killed no one, by the way, that, that were able to be, you know, to, to reach the Yad. And then you had these, these cries of war crimes, war crimes, when logically this is self-defense. You have a country that has been destroyed for more than 1,000 days by a Saudi and UK and US supported war of genocide. And when they are able to manufacture and launch two missiles, all of a sudden the world is up in arms over this Yemeni war crime. It's, it's absurd. It, it really, really, really is absurd. Oh, um, again, just think about it. Let's, let's say the Iranians had kidnapped the Speaker of the House. Let's say the Iranians had summoned Nabih Berri, who's the Speaker of the House, and then forced him from Iran to read the statement that had vile language against the prime minister and then issue his resignation. What would the world have said? That this is acceptable because he's claiming that he's saying this against Saudi intervention in Lebanon? I mean, it, it, again, we, we shouldn't have to point out the irony here. Well, what do you say, though, to people who um, are, you know, who will, who will say, oh, but like there, there's always this attempt to try and if you don't agree with what Saudi Arabia is doing, people will say, oh, but it's, it's just uh, an equal war between Iran and Saudi Arabia. Everything in the Middle East is just both of their faults. Um, well, then Saudi, let's, like let's break it down. Um, the Iranian government, okay, how many wars has it launched in the last 10 years? Who has it attacked? Who has it invaded? Um, whose terrorists have it funded? I mean, let, let's, let's be serious here. You could say that there is a clear Iranian um, influence in Iraq, most definitely, okay? But um, I don't see Iranian missiles being launched against the poorest country in the region. I, I do not see an Iranian-led war anywhere. Quite the contrary, when you see the statements coming from the Iranian delegation after they met with Saad al-Hariri in Lebanon before he was summoned to Saudi Arabia, the Iranian delegation was actually praising Saad al-Hariri for um, his successful work as prime minister against the ISIS terrorists in Lebanon. So, I mean, come on, it's just... I'm, I'm no fan of the Iranian regime because I'm no fan of any regime having a relationship officially with any religion. As, as a secular leftist, I, I, I want all governments to separate themselves from all religious um, perspectives. But that does not mean that I should have a knee-jerk reaction against everything Iran does, particularly when we have Saudi Arabia funding terrorism in the region. And these are facts here, not observations. Saudi Arabia that has launched this genocidal war against Yemen. Saudi Arabia that is leading the Gulf boycott of Qatar. Saudi Arabia that is that is working towards normalizing relationships with the largest and the only settler state colony in the region, which is the Zionist state of Israel. Iran is doing none of that. So anyone who claims that Iran is the enemy in the region is actually either supporting a sectarian discourse against Shia or being truly blind to the destructive and the evil powers of Zionism and all who align themselves with Zionism and the fact that it is the Saudi regime right now that is encouraging, openly, openly encouraging the Israelis to launch an attack on, on Lebanon. I mean, come on, it should what, rest the case, you know, uh, with regards to Iran very clearly because Iran is doing none of that, none of the above. And I find it very interesting that the people that tend to be most against Iran also tend to be most against Hezbollah and mm. also tend to be against this resistance movement that was born and bred in Lebanon and that has fought and sacrificed its men for the liberation of our country and that has been extremely successful 
in the liberation of Lebanon, both from Israeli occupation and from ISIS occupation. And I also say this as somebody who is not always a fan of their domestic policy in the country. So one does not have to give blanket support or blanket condemnation. One just has to be able to recognize what's actually happening on the ground. No, I'm glad you mentioned that about Hezbollah because it gets really frustrating hearing people over and over act like Hezbollah is just some like proxy arm of Iran when it's very much a Lebanese movement that just happens to be aligned with Iran on a number of issues. <laughs> yes, and keep in mind, Iran has never imposed a Speaker of the House on the country. Iran has never imposed a president on the country. Iran has never kidnapped a member <laughs> of the Lebanese government. You know, I've lost it. Oh, you know. <laughs> Kevin, I, I imagine you have some questions. I don't, because you've covered some really good ground, Rania, and I'll, uh, several of your questions. Rania's the Rania's. We don't know which one you're talking about. Rania K. <laughs> Rania K. Uh, I, I suppose the only thing that there might be some value in going into is just to, since since we have a primarily American audience that will be listening you know, maybe if you could elaborate on the extent to which you think the last uh, year of the Trump presidency has made this worse or, or, or reinforced or perhaps given. And in Saudi Arabia, I don't I think you can debate whether they need the permission of the U.S. They're going to do whatever they want. But as you're saying, they seem to have the full support of the Trump administration to engage in what seems to be very coordinated and and it seems deliberate. I don't know if you feel differently, but that uh, that the corruption, the anti-corruption power grab, is also happening at the same time as there might be a threat to uh, some kind of attack on Lebanon. I'm, I'm I'm glad you point that up. Let me just bring you um, tell you what uh, President Trump actually declared. And you're right; it is one year into his glorious presidency. Um, what he declared on November 5th, on Saturday, after the Lebanese prime minister read um, the resignation letter under duress, Trump actually tweeted this, and I'm, this is his direct words, would very much appreciate Saudi Arabia doing their IPO of Aramco within the New York Stock Exchange, important to the United States. So this was his first tweet here. Um, and he has also tweeted a great deal uh, congratulating Mohammed um, bin Salman on his so-called reform. And when we look at what brings these two individuals together, uh, Trump and Mohammed bin Salman, um, I would argue that the first first point of alliance between both of them is their, their firm anti-Iran rhetoric. <clears throat> I've never been somebody to say a kind word about President Obama, but President Obama did de-escalate the relationship between um, the United States and Iran. He managed to tone it down a bit. And Trump very much wants to up the ante and has been working to dismantle the, the treaty that was between the United States and, and certain European countries and Iran and very much wants to inflame the situation. So there is an, ally, an alliance between Mohammed bin Salman's anti-Iranian fervor and um, Trump's anti-Iranian fervor. And I think this is one of their main points of support. We can also see over the past you know, year how much, how many um, agreements there have been between this administration and the Saudi administration with regards to military contracts. Very, very large military contracts have been issued between the Trump administration and the Saudi regime. Now, with that, I'm not sure that the Obama administration would have behaved any differently 
or Clinton herself had she uh, won the presidency, or of course, had she not rigged the primaries and Bernie Sanders won the presidency, you know, how, how different the situation would be. Because I think that that is actually a continuation of US policy, the idea of um, selling billions and billions of dollars worth of, of weaponry to countries uh, that, that do the US's work overseas. So we see several points of alliance, basically. Um, and then to look at how the media in the US have been presenting Mohammed bin Salman as a reformist, as a so-called moderate Muslim, uh, the amount of press that they've given to um, him now allowing women to drive as if now Saudi women have the full rights because all all that was missing was their ability to drive a car. You know, I, I think that th those are related because all too often mainstream media in the U.S. tends to mirror uh, U.S. foreign policy rather than question it. Um, so I, I see there there's this alliance happening. And of course, of course, the Trump administration within its alliance with the Israeli regime and within its anti-Iranian rhetoric, is also working to increase sanctions against Hezbollah and Mohammed bin Salman, also within his anti-Iranian rhetoric, and also probably out of anger and revenge that his ISIS terrorists were defeated also by Hezbollah, is also working to up the ante against Hezbollah in Lebanon. Well said. Uh, on one last note, I would like to ask, do you think that there's a chance that the situation with Lebanon withholding the the Lebanese prime minister hostage, forcing him to resign. Um, is there? Is it possible this has just a lot more to do with Saudi domestic politics than actually, it, go ahead. It could be, I mean, we know it does not have to do with Lebanese internal politics, okay? Right. And, and I think um, the, the, the forced resignation that has not yet been accepted of Prime Minister Saad al-Hariri has something to do with the rumblings that are happening within Saudi Arabia. Keep in mind that the moment King Salman actually approved um, his resignation as the Lebanese prime minister within Saudi Arabia, the moment that that happened, then the Saudis declared that now Saad al-Hariri will be treated as a Saudi citizen because his um, diplomatic immunity has been dropped and now he's being held as a witness to corruption charges. And that is probably another reason why the Lebanese president and speaker of the house continue to remind the Saudi regime that no, he still has diplomatic immunity according to the Vienna Convention. And no, we have not accepted his resignation. And you mentioned the, the UN Security Council. Does Lebanon really have the ability to get the UN Security Council to like issue? I mean, the US no, is I mean, Lebanon does that. not clearly have any ability to do that. But the Russian ambassador is supporting Lebanon. So it is a possibility. I mean, and it's just been it's just been presented as a possibility. The president and the speaker of the house have not openly stated that they are considering this, but it's just listed as a possibility, particularly because the Russians have presented it as a possibility. And I, you know, the, I guess it's one last thing to to mention. Again, a last thing, but the uh, I think I saw maybe it was me where I were talking, um, but the Russian ambassador to Lebanon was saying that um, something about it's like they, they have to recognize the like that Hezbollah is a part of the Lebanese government. Uh, is that the case with Russia? That they're totally willing and, and fine to recognize that Hezbollah is a part of the Lebanese government? Because I don't think any Western country or maybe the Europeans are are willing to like look, look past it. But well, as I mean, far the, as America is concerned. Yeah, I mean, the Russian government is definitely taking the position in support of the Lebanese president and the Speaker of the House. They're not calling for the breakup of the Lebanese unity government. They're not calling for 
um, the isolation of Hezbollah. Um, at the same time, I can't forget that the Russian government is also aligned with the Israeli government. It's not like right. they're an anti-Zionist network. So, <laughs> you know, there, there, I, there, there's, there's certain governments that I would be more comfortable to um, believe and certain governments that I have to continue to look at through a real politic lens. Um, or as we say in Arabic, we know nobody's going to do anything for the blackness of our eye. Nobody is simply going to stand with Lebanon without getting something back. Um, and of course, the Russians have something very strongly invested within Syria. And so they don't want to see their investment in Syria going to shame. Now, what right. puzzles me completely is the German position, because, I mean, <laughs> the, the, given, given the Germans' anti-immigration position, I mean, clearly, even though they say they're pro-immigration, but, you know, they, they don't want more refugees coming to their door. So what are they trying to do? Inflame the situation in Lebanon so that they will get more refugees at their door? I mean, don't they, you know, it, it's just... Every now and then, when I think that every government really behaves rationally, I, I'm surprised. Um, now, unless there is something happening behind the doors, the Saudis are giving the Germans something. Who knows? Who knows? I think that I think that Saudi Arabia may be germ one of Germany's biggest arms purchasers. If I'm yeah. not mistaken, I have to like double check that, but I think that might have something Very to likely. do with it. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, the German position is so strange, just because they came out in full force, like mm -hmm. and had their diplomats just like totally explicitly on Saudi Arabia's side. Yeah. Um, and the Germans tend not to generally be so like in your face uh, about stuff like this. But uh, either way, the European position on everything in the Middle East, nothing makes any sense because <laughs> everything well, you just said. Why don't we, uh, because he does get so much deification in the US and I think it's really grotesque. I saw that Macron just took a visit, made a visit to <laughs> yeah. Saudi Arabia. So maybe why, since we're covering uh, the full geography, why don't you just address what France is doing? Before uh, you do address it, though, I would just like to say I think it would have been absolutely awesome and hilarious if Macron had been forced to resign from Saudi Arabia. <laughs> well, you know, Mahmoud Abbas, the, the joke in the country is Mahmoud Abbas. Uh, the so-called president of the Palestinian Authority, though I hate to call him a president because his term expired years ago. Um, <laughs> nevertheless, he was summoned to Saudi Arabia and the joke was, oh my God, he's going to resign. Oh my God, he's going to resign. <laughs> and many of us were saying, but he should take Dahlan with him and they should both resign from there. Um, but I mean, on a more serious note, it is it is very worrisome also because the Saudi government has, been, has pressured Mahmoud Abbas not to work with Hamas. So to break up that um, alliance, that... Um, unity that happened between Fatah and, and Hamas. Um, as for the French, you know, what's, what's really interesting is although the, you know, the official French response is that they have no evidence that our prime minister is held captive in Saudi Arabia, uh, they did not meet with uh, Saad al-Hariri um, um, in private. When they met with Saad al-Hariri, there was somebody from the Saudi military intelligence present in that room. So, I mean, it just makes me think, like if, if people are saying that I'm being held captive, and you all come over to see me in Beirut, and you see an armed man not leaving my side, why would that not be evidence of me being held captive while my family is saying that I'm being held captive? So again, the French position to me is kind of similar to the German position, although they have interceded. Um, and, and we have to remember that the Lebanese government specifically asked that the French and the British and the Jordanian and the Egyptian government to intercede. Uh, the Egyptian uh, President Sisi also declared that he also thinks that uh, Saad al-Hariri is held captive. Uh-oh, he's next. <laughs> that, would, 
<laughs> if I was a leader of any country right now, I just wouldn't go to Saudi Arabia. Well, you know, the funny thing is, is that the Saudi regime did summon, did summon Bahia al-Hariri, who is Saad al-Hariri's aunt, and other members of the future movement to Saudi Arabia. And their response was, oh, no, no, we're, we're not, we're not going. No, thank you. <laughs> decline, you would decline your invitation. We're not. <laughs> what a joke. I mean, I don't think this, this is like unprecedented. I can't think it of... Is. Any other situation where there's like a leader of a country being held by another country and all yeah. the other countries are just pretending like nothing's happening. Well, not all the other countries. I mean, some of the countries. But if really, if this man has just chosen to vacation in Saudi Arabia where his family resides and he ch suddenly got a 180 shift in his politics and he suddenly wrote this, this letter with a Saudi linguistic overtone rather than a Lebanese <laughs> linguistic overtone, all these things, and he actually has decided to be there. Why can't he go on live television? Why yeah. can't he make a press conference? You know, what wh wh what is this that, that, and he has his private plane. He could be able to come to Beirut, tell the president I was being serious and then get back to Saudi Arabia. So his he movement, wants to be. His, his interactions are clearly the interactions of a man under duress. I mean, there's, you know, it's, it's, it's been almost a week. There's going to be a protest tomorrow in Lebanon, by the way, asking for, you know, demanding the release of our prime minister. Yeah, there was like, there's like a website, Free Saad Hariri, and it's like yeah. counting down. Counting down, counting down. It's like, yeah. it's, like, it's like a weird, scary joke. Uh, yeah, anyways, you know. <laughs> Kevin, is there anything else you'd like to ask? No, just thank you for being our guest. I really appreciated it. It was really fun. I, I, re I really like talking to y'all and... Um, Y'all. No. <laughs> of course, the, the southerness in me comes out right now. <laughs> no, it's so good to have you on. Thank you so much. I, that, that was like such a, you're one of the best speakers. I love hearing you thank speak, you. especially on these issues. So thank you so thank much you. for coming on. And My hopefully, pleasure. hopefully next time we have you on, things will be resolved. <laughs> of course. All the problems will be solved next time. All the problems. You. Palestine will be liberated. <laughs> We'll just talk about the CMA Awards next time. Exactly, the CMA Awards. <laughs> um, all right, on that note, I guess, yes, we will. We look forward to having you on sometime in the future, and hopefully, uh, for real, hopefully, Palestine will be liberated and all of this will be resolved. <laughs>